Well, I was asked a question years ago. It was over there. It was after we had put the tables together. And um, I am sure that you wouldn't be able to figure out who asked this question. Just to make it even easier, I don't see that person here right now. But someone asked me, they, they were only here a couple times, sat me down after and said, are you a spiritual or a religious person? How would you answer that question? Are you a spiritual or a religious person? Well, I'm sitting there going, hmm. Hmm. Huh. So I said, what do you mean by that? And this lady looks at me and says, I don't know. I said, well, tell me what that means next time, and I'll try to answer the question for you, because I don't know what you mean by spiritual or religious. In our context, they're kind of wishy-washy terms. Heard that question numerous times since, and one thing I found, and what I want to focus in on today, is that we live in a very spiritual uh, world. We live amongst very religious people. And I'll explain what that means. But do you realize that every single person you know worships something? The question is, what do they worship? We're going to talk about that today as we lurk, lurk at, lurk at, and look at the first 15 verses of, of Acts 28. I'll read the text to you, and then I'll show you where I found that in here and why it stuck out, because it doesn't necessarily hit you right off the bat. But my goal is to help us better understand the people we interact with, better understand ourselves and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and be motivated, equipped, and encouraged to go out and tell others. Basically, I'm going to make evangelism a joy to each and every one of us when I unpack to you what it is we're really supposed to be going and telling people. It seems like an incredibly obvious truth we're going to look at today, but I think most of us, myself included, overlook this most of the time. So I am in Acts 28. We are getting very close to the end of Acts. It says, after we brought safely through. Remember what was going on last week? What was that storm? If you don't remember, I can just, I'll do that one again. It, it helps me with prep time for next week. There was a storm and a shipwreck. And remember the map with the wiggles? Yeah. That'll be the one thing you remember from that sermon is, is the wiggles. Well, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. See, they shipwrecked, and they didn't know where they were, not because Malta was some random, desolate island. It's just they didn't go with the normal approach, you know, into the harbor. They figured out it was Malta, and the native people showed us unusual kindness. It's called hospitality. These were Gentiles. They were hospitable people. Hospitality should be a mark of every Christian person. But these Gentiles somehow knew to be hospitable. They kindled a fire, and they welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in a fire, stop there a second. Why was Paul getting sticks? You ever stop and think about that? Paul is an apostle for crying out loud. He, he should be wearing pretty clean robes and, and holding gold, you know, sticks. And he shouldn't be touching sticks for a fire. Someone should make the fire for him, shouldn't they? No. Paul was a servant of Christ. And Christ came not to serve, but to be served. And a servant is not greater than their master. Notice Paul, after the shipwreck, soaking wet, worn out, he's still gathering sticks to serve other people. A little side note there, but it's interesting that Paul was grabbing sticks. And whenever you walk in the will of God like that, everything goes well for you. So as Paul's grabbing the sticks, he got bitten by a viper. I was joking with that last line if you're not fully awake yet. 
So he's gathering sticks. One of them became alive, put him in the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when he had waited a long time and saw no mis they saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, this is another wheat ship coming up, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came, I love the name of this town, Puteoli. Everybody should go to Puteoli. There we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I just told you, we're going to talk about worshiping, what people worship. Did you catch it in there? See, the main theme is here is Paul arrived in Rome. God's promise was fulfilled. Paul's not done. The book of Acts is not done. But Paul had come all the way to Rome. He met the brothers who he had written to, excited to see them, to mutually encourage one another. He meets them. They go up the Appian Way, and they're going to go into Rome. This is, this is the culmination here of, of whatever, you know, you bring the, bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I mean, it's all, all of Acts is coming to fruition here. But as I read this, I saw three things stick out. They, they were just highlighted in my Bible, and I'm, I actually highlighted them. Would you look at verse 4? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Next word. Look at that closely. What's the first letter in justice? Capital J, justice. Why is justice capital J? Ain't no typo. You ever notice there are no typos in the Bible? It's a goddess. This is a, a daughter of Zeus called Dike. She was the goddess of justice. You know, we, you go to a court and you see the, the lady, it's not Lady Liberty, that's a Statue of Liberty, the one with the scales. Yeah, what's her name? Blindfold lady in the courtroom. She has an official name. You know who I'm talking about. This is a, a version of that. These people knew right and wrong. They knew that, that there was evil and there was good and that evil wasn't the way it was supposed to be and should be addressed. And because Paul lived out of the ocean and got bitten by a poisonous snake, justice had caught up to him. They worshipped a false goddess named Justice. Go a little farther down, and when Paul didn't drop dead from the snake, what do they call Paul in verse 6? He's a god. Then they put Paul on a ship from, from Alexandria, and they have the twin gods, if you see that there in verse 11, hanging on the front of the ship. Castor and Pollux, you may see in your Bible if you don't have the ESV. You don't know who Castor and Pollux are if you look up in the sky at night. Gemini? 
the story is these twin gods, Castor and Pollux, were in charge of the sea. And they had power over the sea, and they lived such exemplary lives or something. I don't know all of this, this mythology. But their reward was they got to go up into heaven and become the constellation Gemini. So you got Castor and Pollux, false gods. Paul, false god. Justice, false goddess. These people are very worshipful people. And what I want you to understand is that all people worship something. You worship God or you worship an idol, but you worship something. Do you know why? God made you to worship. These people didn't know God, but they, they had a, a moral compass built into them. They knew some things were right and some things were wrong, and wrong wasn't the way it was supposed to be, and right should overcome wrong. They knew that by nature. All people know that there's something greater than themselves. All people know that this life isn't it. Eternity has been put into the heart of all people. If you don't believe me, believe God. It's Ecclesiastes. The heart longs for eternity. The heart knows that eternity is there. People were made to worship something. The majority just suppressed the truth. They worship the creature rather than the creator, the Bible would say. Am I making this all up? It's a fair question. And I will let you figure that out, and I'll keep pressing on. Am I making this all up? Are people all made with a desire to worship? Do people all have an internal moral compass? I don't know if you ever heard, well, this is loose. Have you ever heard of total depravity, the theological term? People can't do anything good uh, apart, from, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from faith in Christ. You can't do anything pleasing to God apart from being a child of God. But have you also noticed that people who don't love Jesus can be quite hospitable? They can actually be quite nice compared to people who do know Christ. Have you ever noticed that? It's always baffled me. If you take it on average, I sometimes, with the exception of, of present company, I prefer to hang out with the non-Christians. They're just a little more straightforward. You know, they don't have that outward smile and the inward, in, inward trouble. They just they call you a jerk, and then they smile at you afterwards. At least you know where they're coming from. Well, why is that? Why do people who don't love God have the ability to be so hospitable, like Publius? Publius took in Paul, and if you look closely, 275 other people. Dude had a nice house. Think about bringing in 275 people for three days. I hope my parents and, and in-laws don't listen, but I have trouble bringing in two or three, you know, for, for two days. I'm like, come on, can't you stay outside in your car? It's not that cold, and we can uh, visit in the front lawn. I have trouble with that. Well, Publius brought in 276 people for, th for three days. He wasn't a Christian. How did he do that? The island people, they welcomed him. What's going on here? Well, I don't know. Hopefully you guys can tell me. Romans 2.14. Paul says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Do you see that? Do you see that? The law, the basic moral compass is written on the heart of all people. Well, what about people who've never heard about Jesus? It doesn't matter. If they, if they truly desire to know him, they'll know him. People aren't separated from God because they don't profess faith in Jesus. They're separated from God because they're separated by, by sin, the corruption of the heart. All people are like that. But even the, the people who don't worship God have in their heart an ability to know right and wrong. So what do they do? They create a false god to worship to deal with this problem of right and wrong. Justice is the name of the goddess here. 
They get on the sea and they're afraid. Oh, it's out of our control. We're going to die. What do we do? We worship Castor and Pollux. They'll keep us safe. We worship the one who created the seas and the heavens and the earth. You see the difference there? We're made to worship because we are creatures who are not in control of all things. We have a need to be comforted and directed and cared for and provided for and have some sense of security and stability in our lives. If you don't, you will, you will completely crumble and fall apart. Stress permeates our culture because we feel wildly out of control and we want to grasp onto something and make control of it. So what do we do? We create idols. We create idols in our lives, in our hearts, and we hang on to them, trusting in our idols, forgetting that God is the one who's fully in control. Do you see that? Justice wasn't hunting down Paul and going to kill him with a snake bite. Justice didn't make right and wrong and overcome wrong with right. These people knew that was the way it should be, but they didn't know who it was that would do that and what made, who determined right and wrong. They got on the sea and they were scared because the sea is big and they are small. And they wanted some comfort and stability. You know, little kids get on big boats with their parents. Daddy, are we going to drown? No, son, it's okay. We're too little to ask, how do you know? Because we assume our daddy or our mommy is able to overcome the power of the sea and keep us safe when we're three years old. Well, you get on a big boat now rocking in the waves, it looks a little awkward if you start crying for mommy, you know? At 40, 50, 60 years of age and you start crying, mommy, daddy, help me! People look at you like, whew. But that is what we're supposed to cry in a sense, isn't it? Father, help. But now we know our Heavenly Father is in control of the seas. Paul just got off a boat and knew that. Castor and Pollux didn't speak to Paul. God spoke to Paul. God took them through the wiggles, not Castor and Pollux. Do you see that? Let me ask you this. Pay, pay attention. Make sure you're awake for at least this part. What do you want out of life? What's your greatest desire? What are your greatest desires in life? Think about it for a minute. What do, you, what do you want out of this sucker? I don't know how many years we have left till we die. It kind of helps if you know what you're after as opposed to just, I don't know, I just got to get through today to do tomorrow, to get through tomorrow, to do another. That's not how we're made to live. Anybody want security in life? Just Bob, all right? The rest of you guys, rotten turmoil. Security, stability, certainty, hope, safety, comfort. You know, wouldn't it be nice to, to wake up in the morning? Huh, I got nothing to worry about. I am perfectly taken care of. You know, I look at Charlie some mornings. He's just sitting in, in bliss in his crib. It's just like, <sighs> he doesn't wake up and be like, um, um, can we afford breakfast, lunch, and dinner today? Uh, do we have milk downstairs? Um, um, did you pay the mortgage this month? Um, um, are we good for next month? Charlie just gets up. <sighs> Hello, sunny day, cloudy day, hello. Anybody else wake up like that, sober? Anyone wake up and just like, ah, hello, happy day. Oh, you know, we don't, you know why? Because we forget how powerful and awesome God is. We think that we have to take care of ourselves. We, we have to, there's an element of it, don't get me wrong. Don't sleep in a crib and wet yourself and smile when you wake up, it's awkward. But we have a need for security and stability and comfort and assurance. We all, God put it in our heart. Where do you find it? Where do you find that? Where do you find security, comfort, joy, stability? All these desires that you're made with. 
How can you wake up in the morning? Huh. Good morning. You know? I don't feel physically wonderful at this moment, yet I need my coffee and my right eye is stuck and my left one is blurry. But I, I'm happy to be awake. I'm excited for what lay in store for this day. How often do you get up that way? As opposed to the, the list. Anyone have the slow list get going? You get up and you're like, oh, man, I've got to remember this and this and do this and get that email out and check this out. I forgot to do this last night. And did we start the dishwasher and did these? Oh my, and you're sitting in bed and you're like, whoo, this is going bad in a hurry. You see, people who don't know God live in their brain completely wildly out of control. They have to fake it. They have no comfort, security, stability, assurance, hope, purpose, meaning, none. They have to fake it. So what do you do? I don't know. You serve some idols. One idol is called money. Jesus talked more about that than anything else. You find comfort and stability and security in money. Another is pride, prestige, power, perception. You can fill in whatever you want. If people like me, if people want to be around me, then I'm going to be happy and have hope and purpose and meaning and joy in my life. You think so? If I'm loaded, I mean like Bill Gates loaded, then I could wake up in the morning and be like, ah, sunny day. You think? You, you want to sneak into Bill Gates' house, I guarantee you Bill Gates freaks out and worries, especially if he doesn't know Christ. You think, you know, if I could just be cool. You know, we were, when we were growing up, didn't you want to be in the cool crowd or at least have some people that like being around you? Didn't you want to have some friends that, that you could just count on and trust and depend on? But you don't find it. So, so you're trying to conform, to fit in, to, to be accepted. You want purpose, meaning, acceptance, all these things. You see where I'm going here? Do you know the gospel isn't a get-out-of-hell-free program? I think so often we think the gospel is just about you don't have to go to hell. Which, if we're going to be honest, is this. Look, Jesus is who he says he is. Your life is going to stink, be wildly out of control. You're not going to get half of what you want out of this life. You're going to be miserable, and then you're going to die. But when you die, you don't have to go to hell. Don't you want that? Yeah, I kind of like that idea. I don't want to go to hell, and I can do what I want now. Jesus forgives me, and I get to go to heaven. Done deal. How do I do that? Well, you pray this prayer, pray the prayer, ching, mark them off, and we're good. We have a convert. Heaven is not a get-out-of-hell program. That is a tiny, tiny little incidental on the side when you really understand what the gospel is. The gospel is you have desires and needs and wants that are, that are written on your heart. They have to be fulfilled for you to have purpose and meaning in life so that you don't run ragged. And they never will unless you know the one who fulfills all those desires. The gospel is you can know and be known by God relationally and every desire of your heart will be not just fulfilled but exceeded from right this very moment forevermore. And oh yeah, you get to spend eternity in heaven in his presence too. You see what I'm saying there? That's the good news. We're not to go out into a world and tell people, turn or burn so you don't have to go to hell. That's not the gospel. They can't turn. And they are going to burn because they're stuck in sin. We're called to introduce them to a God, the only God, who loves them far more than they understand, who made them with desires, and he made it so that he would fulfill and exceed every desire of their heart. Do you see that? We're to go out and smash their idols. Well, to, don't do it for them. Help them smash their idols and replace them with the one true God. Paul walks in. They say, justice has caught him. I, now, we don't see Paul sharing the gospel here. You know why? Because we know he's going to. That's all that Paul's going to do here. He's going to use every opportunity to share the gospel. I'll give you a little bit of, of, of church history outside of scripture here in a minute. And if I don't, please remind me. 
Paul is going to use all these signs and wonders and opportunities to share the gospel. Whoa, justice didn't throw a viper at my hand. I see that you're very religious people, a.k.a. the Areopagus. Remember that? But you worship justice. Let me tell you of the one who made right and wrong, who controls right and wrong, and who one day will overcome all evil. His name is God, and he revealed himself to us in the form of his son, who is fully God and fully man. And he shares the gospel with him and says, I call you to turn from justice and turn your worship to the one true God. And how do they know Paul's message is true? Well, look, I'm not dead. And look, I survived a shipwreck. And look, it just happened as God said it would. And, oh, follow me to Publius' house and watch what happens to his daddy and the rest of the island. You see, God used the signs and the wonders to affirm the message is true. And we have that message here before us today. Justice doesn't make right and wrong. Do you see that? Castor and Pollux don't keep ships safe at sea. Paul was not a god. The gospel is that there is one God, and you are separated from God by sin, but God made a way so that you could know him and be known by him and have all of your needs met. How? By turning and trusting. So our struggle as Christians is we focus too much on, on the gospel's get-out-of-hell-free card. Oh, this day stinks, but I'm not going to hell. Woohoo! Isn't life wonderful? If you, if you relegate the gospel to that. I am miserable, people don't like me, I don't like people, people treat me bad, my life is just chaotic and feels wildly out of control, but at least I don't have to go to hell. Woo-hoo! You know why it's hard to be joyful in all circumstances? Because that's what we go with. How about this? I'm going way off script here. I'm going way off script, so Holy Spirit, please take this one. Exodus 34. I didn't even note this, so we might be in the absolute wrong verse. God used to command his people to go up to the tabernacle three times a year to worship him, right? They lived in the midst of people who wanted to kill him. You understand that? They lived in a hospitable land with hus- an inhospitable land with inhospitable people who wanted to kill him. So God calls the men to go up three times a year to the tabernacle. They're leaving their wives and their kids behind amongst the enemies. Why didn't those enemies take their land and kill their wives? 34:24. I hope. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You know how God said that? He's fully in control of everything. He's not reacting. He's fully in control of everything, including the desires of other people's hearts and your own. Do you see that? Well, God, if we go up to worship you, they're going to take our land and kill our wives and kids. That's what it seems like, right? God says, would you just trust me, you, you, you stiff-necked people? Trust me and go. And they went, and guess what? It happened as God said. Their lands weren't taken. Their wives and their kids weren't killed because God is firmly in control of all things. The more we understand that, God, the more we live in obedience, the more we look not at, um, this won't work out well. Um, this won't work out well. Um, this isn't going to happen. Stop. Take what God says. Trust what God says and allow him to meet and exceed all of your desires. So then when you go out, you convey the truth as a person who lives in light of the truth and has a joy that cannot be explained. Paul had that. We would call what Paul had as oddness. Paul looked different. Paul lived on a, on a ship for two weeks and change, and the rest of the ship freaked out. We're all going to die. Paul's sitting there going, you are crazy. I told you. God said we're not all going to die. We're going to die. They're sitting there going, what is wrong with this guy? What, what type of drug is he taking that he's all calm and mellow? He's not on drugs. He knows God. 
Viper bites his hand. This is, you might not know this, but the viper bit Paul, and he went, oh, I'm going to die, oh, I'm going to die, oh, I'm going to Right? No, that's what I would do. Paul probably went, dang, that hurts. Right? But he knew he wasn't going to die. How did he know he wasn't going to die? He had to get to Rome. He would be like, it's going to hurt. But he knew he wasn't going to die. He didn't freak out. You see that? Publius' dad showed up. His dad was sick with a dysentery. Paul prays for him, lays his hands on him. You know why he does that? It's the power of God working through Paul. Paul's just a vessel. It's not like Paul prayed that God would heal him. He's like, oh, it worked. Guys, come and check this out. It worked. Paul wasn't surprised. Paul knew he had a message, and he was going to give, be given signs and wonders to confirm it. Guys, why are we so surprised when God answers prayers? Why do we freak out when we don't understand how it's going to work out? You ang- Anybody here, don't speak out loud. You have any anger issues with someone like they screwed you over? You want to know a little secret? God caused it or allowed it. Hear me close there. God caused it or allowed it for his glory and your good. Push the anger aside. Anyone here feel wildly out of control with life? Like, how am I going to make it work? Don't we all? We stop and think. Guess what God's saying? Chill out. I got it. It's not your job to make it work. I will do that. You trust and obey me. Sleep soundly, my little child. Don't worry about tomorrow, my child. I I love you far more than you can comprehend. And I got this one. So when you wake up tomorrow, (sighs) though though the earth is trembling outside, (sighs) though the mountains are giving way, falling into the sea, (sighs) you have no need to fear because you know God and you know that he loves you. Do you see that? That's the message that we go out. You worship justice, let me introduce you to the one who will bring justice. You worship Castor and Pollux, let me introduce you to the one who created the seas and controls them all. You worship me because I do strange stuff. Oh, you don't know who I am. I'm simply a vessel, a jar of clay carrying a message. Do you see where we're going here? When you share the gospel, don't call people to, to avoid hell. That's a perk. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But I know too many people that their greatest joy is they think they're going to see a a group of deceased relatives one day in heaven. And if Jesus wasn't there, they'd be okay as long as, you know, grandma was in heaven. Right? You know those people? Kind of like, hey, when when people tell me so-and-so is in a better place now, oof. That is not an appropriate time to speak. So how do you know? Don't don't invite me to a funeral for your non-believing friends. Grandpa's in a much better place today. Oh, hope. Did Grandpa know Jesus? Woo, it's not much better now. Grandpa's hot. (laughs) But you don't have to be. Don't invite me to the funerals. Trust me, I I wouldn't do that. Heaven isn't about seeing relatives. Oh, you will enjoy seeing relatives who knew Jesus. You will enjoy being surprised by people you never expected to see in heaven. And it's sinless perfection, so you're not going to get there and be like, darn it, how the heck did you get it? (laughs) Man! God, can I go back? Can I turn from you? Is it too late? No, it's never going to be that way. But the greatest part is seeing God himself, knowing him in a sinless, perfect state. Do you see that? You can know God now, and you will know him better day by day. You will spend eternity in the presence of God himself. Imagine the day, you're gonna, you'll see relatives that you can't wait to see. 
And then your eyes are going to bang a little bit to the side because you're going to see Jesus himself. And you know what? You're going to forget your relatives are even there for a moment. You, you have all of eternity to spend with them too. But you're going to be spending it worshiping Jesus together. That is the joy of heaven. Do you see that? Do you know how big and powerful and awesome and mighty and loving God is? None of us fully understand that. No one can screw you over. God's too strong for that. Life can never be out of control. God's too strong for that. You don't have to trust in any idol because God is the only one to trust and who will meet all of your desires. So stop and think about what do you want out of life? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you need to be happy? What do you need to be joyful? What do you need so that you feel comfort and meaning and belonging and stability and can push, push the anger out of the way and the anxiety out of the way and wake up in an adult version of, and walk through your day in an adult version of, hello, how are you? You just need to know God. We live in a world with people who worship everything other than God, and many of them think they worship God. Pay attention to that closely. They worship a distorted version of God. It would be like if I told you about my wife. I, I love my wife. My, my wife has beautiful, long, flowing black hair. She loves to hunt. She's from Minnesota. She, she does a wonderful job dressing a deer. I mean, if you bring her a dead deer, she will dress that deer beautifully for you. She is an avid firearms um, owner. She is a member of, of all of these different outdoors clubs. And, and I just, I love her dearly. You know what's wrong with everything I just said? None of that describes my wife. So if Laura heard all that, she'd be like, what is wrong with you? You don't know me. Make sure you're worshiping the God who is, not the God you created. You understand what I'm saying there? There are way too many people who worship a God they create under the name of the one true God. They're never going to have the hope and the peace and the joy that God desires for us to have because they're not worshiping the one true God. Guys, we know him. How do we get it from here to here? We trust. Well, God, it doesn't look like it's going to go well. Imagine God said to Paul, get on the boat. It's going to be a horrendously scary journey, and it looks like it's going to wreck, but you'll make it. Bob and Paul be like, I'm going in the spring, buddy, when it's safer. You know what you got to do to know God like Paul knew God? Get on the boat. Get on the boat. And you go out and you tell people, because when you take that scary boat ride, and you can still be happy because God's got it perfectly in control, people are going to say to you, why don't you freak out? Now, now this is where they read the hypocrite meter. Because we all, we all got a hypocrite meter, don't we? Like, we, we, we know, but we don't always act like we believe what we know, right? It's kind of like, let me tell you about God and how wonderful he is. Ah. I don't necessarily actually trust him, but you're supposed to. And if you would trust him, then I could see how it worked for you, and maybe I'll trust him better now. If you want the Holy Spirit to work through you, trust. And as you do, oh, this whole life of ours starts to change. Anger, anxiety, replaced with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit in aisle number two. That's what we're called to be filled with, to be bearing, and to cause others to bear as well through our interaction with them. So as you go out and you look for opportunities to share the gospel, take the pressure off. It's not an intellectual battle. It's not about telling them you don't have to go to hell. It's about knowing that they worship something. Find out what they worship. Find out where they find hope and purpose and meaning in life. And then look at the opportunity God gave you to present to them the only place where you will find true hope and purpose and meaning and joy. Because you and I, we worship 
the one true God. They worship a false God. We have hope and certainty and assurance. They have cheap substitutes that are going to fall apart. So we go out into the world not to yell, turn or burn, dirty, rotten sinner. We go out into the world to call a people who are spiritual and religious, a people who desire to worship because God gave them a desire to worship. We call them to worship what is. And we do it by modeling it and by trusting that God is who he says he is. Sharing the gospel, my folks, is a privilege. It's a privilege because we're calling people to fulfill, to have their, have their wildest dreams fulfilled and exceeded. Do you see that? Our message is good news. All those desires you have, they can be met and exceeded. All those problems you struggle with, they can all be cast aside. All, all the things that keep you up at night, all the things that you try to find to, to meet these desires in your life, they're all going to fail. But I can show you the one thing that guarantees to meet and exceed every single one of them. That is the gospel. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to go to hell. That hell part starts to pale in comparison when you understand where you're going. You know? Don't ever invite someone to come and, to come and uh, meet Jesus so you can go see your grandma too because she knew him. Mm. Don't ever tell someone, you, you're going to go to hell if you don't fix your ways. Because that's not the gospel. You don't have to change to be accepted by God. Accepted by God, you will change, but there's a big difference. It's not turn or burn, it's you're going to burn. Unless God has called you. And how do we know if he's called you? We share the gospel. You worship justice. You worship Castor and Pollux. As Americans, we're too refined. So we worship idols of pride and, and envy and greed and power and money. And we don't actually talk about them as idols. Even us Christians have little idols. Get them out of there. So that we can go out and we can do what Paul did. Now you know with absolute certainty even though we don't have it recorded here in this text, that Paul shared the gospel with these people. It's what he did all throughout Acts. It's what he did here. And then here's the part I don't want to forget. It's not in, the, in Scripture, but it's in tradition and church history. There was a church founded in Malta. We know that. Tradition tells us that the first pastor in the church in Malta was a man named Publius. Interesting. Paul was in Malta for three months at this point. How do I know that? I come back next week or keep reading the text on your own, preferably do both. A church began in Malta. People came to faith on Malta during this time. Wouldn't it be really neat if when we got to heaven, we met a man named Justice who was a centurion of the Roman cohort, hanging out with a man named Publius, who were there on Malta when Paul showed up, a vessel chosen by God to convey his message. And we might hear of the story of how their life unfolded, of how they, Publius went from worshiping Justice Worshipping Castor and Pollux or whatever false god he had and turned to the one true God. And who knows what God did through him. This is by one guy hanging on God's word, riding a ship, showing up on the bay, and trusting that God was who he said he was and would do what he said he would do. You and I worship the same God. You and I have the same power at work within us. I would not recommend snake bites. You know, there's a show on National Geographic. There is, if you're dumb enough, to let a snake bite your hand with venom, I can guarantee there's a promise that I can give to you. You're going to die, okay? Or your hand will get nasty and fall off. We don't have apostolic power. You do know they're fulfilling a prophetic statements here from Mark and Luke where he says you'll go out and, and you'll deal with things like this. is an apostolic thing happening as a sign and wonder. Don't go sticking your hand in a viper pit because you have no promise of that, okay? But you do have many promises of God to lean on and trust on. We don't need the signs and wonders because we have the word of God completed, and the evidence of it. 
We have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us and convicting the people, convicting the hearers of what we say. Publius, potentially the first pastor of the church in Malta, he heard the gospel because Paul showed up. Paul saw a religious and spiritual group of people and called them to worship the one true God. That is what we're called to do. That is how we're called to live, and that is the joy that we have in knowing that no matter what's happening around us, you can wake up like a three-year-old in bliss, buried under your blankets with a smile on your face, not worrying about the circumstances, just happy for the day, because he knows that God woke him, God made the day, and he doesn't have to be freaked out about anything. Now, at this point in his life, he probably looks to me and his mother to care for all of his needs, and our job is to grow him into a young adult and a man who understands that we cannot meet all of his needs, but there is one who can and who will. And as we understand that more fully and with faith like a child, we can wake up and live like that too. Joyfully, wonderfully, and having every desire met and exceeded, looking forward to the day we enter sinless perfection in God's presence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, these people on Malta. I thank you for the hospitality they showed Paul. I thank you for the fact that as they built that fire that you used the, uh, the viper to, to reveal yourself to people. I thank you for Publius welcoming the, the shipwrecked folks into his house so that Paul might work signs and wonders there and share the gospel. I even thank you for the fact that, that these fallen people stuck Castor and Pollux on the front of their ship. And it created an opportunity for you to be proclaimed for who you are. God, we are people that keep falling into this trap of trusting in things other than you, even though we know you and love you and are yours. We pray you would convict us of any areas where we have idols in our lives, where we doubt that you are who you say you, will, that you are and will do what you say you will do. I pray that you help us not see people as more powerful than you, messing up your plans and screwing with us in ways that wouldn't be pleasing to you. And understand, God, you are sovereign and supreme. Nothing happens unless you cause it or allow it. Just like the Israelites were safe when they left to go to the tabernacle, their wives and kids and lands were in no danger because you were in control of all things. Our lives are in no danger. God, I've often said in the, in the past, in, in, in younger years in faith, that I don't have a problem trusting in God, but I do have a problem in trusting in people. Well, now I understand what the truth is there. People don't overpower God. God is in control of all things. We don't need to fear anyone. We need to properly fear the one who is in control of all things. And we know that perfect love casts out fear. Father, I pray you might send us out into the world to be an example of people who know and love you, representing you to the world, and call people to turn from worshiping the false idols in their life, to call them to stop suppressing the truth as we reveal the truth to them. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open their eyes and open their ears and soften their hearts so they may hear your word and receive it. God, I thank you that you have fulfilled, you offer fulfillment of every desire we have, and one day we will, we will enjoy that. But in this present age, in this present darkness, I pray that you would help us in our weakness, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us and empower us so that we might walk in greater obedience to you, not looking along the periphery or at the circumstances, but looking forward at the Good Shepherd who leads our way. Pray that we would use your word as a light for our feet to, to guide our path. I pray that we would listen to hear your voice, Good Shepherd, and we would follow you and rejoice in the fact that you call us and that you know us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. 
God, I thank you for the fact that you are who you say you are and you will always be who you say you will be. I pray that we would know and trust in that more fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.